0: Chapter 12 of Specimen Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan. Specimen Days by Walt Whitman. Chapter 12. A Civility Too Long Neglected. The foregoing reminds me of something. As the individualities, I would mainly portray have certainly been slighted by folks who make pictures, volumes, poems, out of them, as a faint testimonial of my own gratitude for many hours of peace and comfort in half-sickness. And, not by any means, sure, but they will somehow get wind of the compliment I hereby dedicate the last half of these specimen days to the bees, blackbirds, dragonflies, pond-turtles, mulanes, tansy, peppermint, moths, great and little, some splendid fellows, mosquitoes, butterflies, wasps and hornets, catbirds, and all other birds, glowworms, swarming millions of them indescribably strange and beautiful at night over the pond and creek, water-snakes, crows, millers, cedars, tulip-trees, and all other trees, and to the spots and memories of those days, and the creek. Delaware River Days and Nights April fifth, 1879 With the return of spring to the skies, airs, waters of the Delaware, return the seagulls, I never tire of watching their broad and easy flight in spirals, Or as they oscillate with slow, unflapping wings, Or look down with curved beak, Or dipping to the water after food. The crows, plenty enough all through the winter, Have vanished with the ice. Not one of them now to be seen, the steamboats have again come forth, Bustling up, handsome, freshly painted, For summer work. The Columbia, the Edwin Forest, The Republic not yet out, The Raybold, Nellie White, The Twilight, the Ariel, the Warner, The Perry, the Taggart, the Jersey Blue, Even the hulky old Trenton, not forgetting those saucy little bull-pups of the current, the steam-tugs. But let me bunch and catalogue the affair, the river itself, all the way from the sea, Cape Island on one side, and Hanlopen Light on the other, up to the broad bay north, and so to Philadelphia, and on further to Trenton, the sights am most familiar with, as I live a good part of the time in Camden, I view matters from that outlook. The great, arrogant, black, full-freighted ocean streamers, inward or outward bound, the ample width here between the two cities, intersected by Windmill Island, an occasional man of war, sometimes a foreigner, at anchor, with her guns and portholes, and the boats, and the brown-faced sailors, and the regular oar-strokes, and the gay crowds of visiting day, the frequent large and handsome three-masted schooners, a favorite style of marine built, hereabouts of late years. Some of them new and very jaunty, with their white-gray sails and yellow pine spars, the sloops dashing along in a fair wind, I see one now, coming up, on the broad canvas, her gaff topsail shining in the sun, high and picturesque. What a thing of beauty amid the sky and waters! The crowded wharf slips along the city, the flags of different nationalities, the sturdy English cross on its ground of blood, the French tricolor, the banner of the great North German Empire. And the Italian and the Spanish colours sometimes of an afternoon, the whole scene enlivened by a fleet of yachts in a half calm, lazily returning from a race down at Gloucester, the neat, rakish revenue steamer Hamilton in midstream with her perpendicular stripes flaunting aft and turning the eyes north. The long ribbons of fleecy white steam, or dingy black smoke, stretching far, fan-shaped, slanting diagonally, across from the Kensington or Richmond shores, in the west-by-south-west wind. Scenes on ferry and river, last winter's nights. Then the Camden ferry. What exhilaration! CHANGE, PEOPLE, BUSINESS, BY DAY, WHAT soothing, SILENT, WONDROUS HOURS AT NIGHT, CROSSING ON THE BOAT, MOST ALL TO MYSELF, PACING THE DECK, ALONE, FORWARD OR AFT, WHAT COMMUNION WITH THE WATERS, THE AIR, THE EXQUISITE CHEOSCURO, THE SKY AND STARS, THAT SPEAK NO WORD, NOTHING TO THE INTELLECT yet so eloquent, so communicative to the soul. And the ferrymen, little they know how much they have been to me, day and night, how many spells of listlessness, ennui, debility, they and their hardy ways have dispelled. And the pilots, Captain's Hand, Walton, and Giberson by day, and Captain Olive at night, Eugene Crosby, with his strong young arm so often supporting, circling, convoying me over the gaps of the bridge, through impediments, safely aboard. Indeed, all my ferry friends, Captain Frazee, the Superintendent, Lindell, Hiskey, Fred Roach, Price, Watson, and a dozen more, and the ferry itself, with its queer scenes, sometimes children suddenly born, in the waiting houses, an actual fact, and more than once, sometimes a masquerade party, going over at night, with a band of music, dancing and whirling, like mad on the broad deck, in their fantastic dresses, sometimes the astronomer, Mr Whittle, who posts me up in point about the stars by a living lesson there and then, and answering every question. Sometimes a prolific family group, eight, nine, ten, even twelve. Yesterday, as I crossed, a mother, father, and eight children waiting in the ferry house, bound westward somewhere. I have mentioned the crowds. I always watch them from the boats. They play quite a part in the winter scenes on the river by day. Their black splashes are seen in relief against the snow and ice everywhere at that season, sometimes flying and flapping, sometimes on little or larger cakes, selling up or down the stream. One day the river was mostly clear. Only a single long ridge of broken ice making a narrow stripe by itself, running along down the current for over a mile, quite rapidly. On this white stripe the crowds were congregated, hundreds of them, a funny procession. half mourning was the comment of someone. Then, the reception room for passengers waiting. Life, illustrated thoroughly, Take a March picture I jotted there two or three weeks since. Afternoon, about three and a half o'clock, it begins to snow. There has been a matinee performance at the theatre. From four and a half to five comes a stream of homeward-bound ladies. I never knew the spacious room to present a gayer, more lively scene, handsome, well-dressed jersey women and girls, scores of them, streaming in for nearly an hour, the bright eyes and glowing faces coming in from the air, a sprinkling of snow on bonnets or dresses as they enter, the five or ten minutes waiting, the chatting and laughing. Women can have capital times among themselves with plenty of wit, lunches, jovial abandon. Lizzie, the pleasant mannered waiting room women for sound, the bell taps and stream signals of departing boats with their rhythmic break and undertone, the domestic pictures, mothers with babies of daughters, a charming sight, children, countrymen, the railroad men in their blue clothes and caps, all the various characters of city and country, represented or suggested. THEN OUTSIDE, SOME BELATED PASSENGER frantically RUNNING, JUMPING AFTER THE BOAT. TOWARDS SIX O'CLOCK, THE HUMAN STREAM GRADUALLY, THICKENING. NOW A PRESSURE OF VEHICLES, DRAYS, PILED RAILROAD CRATES. NOW A DROVE OF CATTLE, MAKING QUITE AN EXCITEMENT. THE DROVERS WITH HEAVY STICKS, BELABOURING THE STREAMING SIDES OF THE FRIGHTENED BRUTES. INSIDE THE RECEPTION-ROOM, BUSINESS BARGAINS, FLIRTING, LOVE-MAKING, eclaircissement, PROPOSALS, PLEASANT, SOBER-FACED PHIL COMING IN WITH HIS BURDEN OF AFTERNOON PAPERS, OR JOE, OR CHARLIE, WHO JUMPED IN THE DOCK LAST WEEK AND SAVED A STOUT LADY FROM DROWNING, TO REPLENISH THE STOVE AND CLEARING IT WITH LONG CROWBAR poker. BESIDES ALL THIS COMEDY HUMAN, the river affords nutriment to a higher order. Here have some of my memoranda of the past winter, Just as penciled down on the spot. A January night. Fine trips across the wide Delaware to-night, Tide pretty high and a strong ebb. River, a little after eight, Full of ice, mostly broken but some large cakes making our strong-timbered steamboat hum and quiver as she strikes them. In the clear moonlight they spread, strange, unearthly, silvery, faintly glistening, as far as I can see, bumping, trembling, sometimes hissing like a thousand snakes, the tide procession, as we wend with or through it, Affording a grand undertone, In keeping with the scene, Overhead, the splendor indescribable, Yet something haughty, Almost supercilious, in the night. Never did I realize more latent sentiment, Almost passion, In those silent, interminable stars up there. One can understand, such a night, why, From the days of the pharaohs or Job, the dome of heaven sprinkled with planets has supplied the subtlest, deepest criticism of human pride, glory, ambition. Another Winter Night I don't know anything more filling than to be on the wide, firm deck of a powerful boat, a clear, cool, Extra moonlight night, crushing proudly and resistlessly through this thick, marbly, glistening ice. The whole river is now spread with it, some immense cakes. There is such weirdness about the scene, partly the quality of the light, with its tinge of blue, the lunar twilight, only the large stars holding their own in the radiance of the moon. Temperature sharp, comfortable for motion, dry, full of oxygen, but the sense of power, the steady, scornful, imperious urge of our strong, new engine, as she plows her way through the big and little cakes. Another. For two hours I crossed and recrossed, merely for pleasure, for a still excitement, Both sky and river went through several changes. The first, for a while, held two vast fan-shaped echelons of light clouds, through which the moon waded, now radiating, carrying with her an aureole of tawny transparent brown, and now, flooding the whole vast with clear vapory, light green, through which As though an illuminated veil, she moved with measured womanly motion. Then, another trip. The heavens would be absolutely clear, and Luna in all her effulgence. The big dipper in the north, with the double star in the handle much plainer than common. Then, the sheeny track of light in the water, dancing and rippling such transformations, such pictures and poems. Inimitable. Another. I am studying the stars, under advantages, as I cross to-night. It is late in February, and again extra clear. High toward the west, the Pleiades, tremulous with delicate sparkle, in the soft heavens. Aldebaran, leading the V-shaped Hyads, and overhead Capella, and her kids. Most majestic of all, in full display in the high south, Orion, vast spread, roomy, chief historian of the stage, with this shiny yellow rosette on his shoulder, and his three kings, and a little to the east, Sirius, calmly arrogant, most wondrous single star. Going late ashore, I couldn't give up the beauty and soothingness of the night. As I stayed around, or slowly wandered, I heard the echoing calls of the railroad man in the West Jersey depot yard, shifting and switching trains, engines, etc., amid the general silence other ways. And something in the acoustic quality of the air, musical, emotional effects never thought of before. I lingered long and long listening to them. Night of March 18, seventy nine. One of the calm, pleasantly cool, exquisitely clear and cloudless early spring nights. The atmosphere again that rare vitreous blue-black welcomed by astronomers. Just at eight evening, the scene overhead of certainly solemnest beauty, never surpassed. Venus nearly down in the west, of a size and luster as if trying to outshow herself before departing. Teeming maternal orb. I take you again to myself. I am reminded of that spring preceding Abraham Lincoln's murder, when I, restlessly haunting the Potomac banks around Washington City, watched you, up there, aloof, moody, as myself. As we walked up and down in the dark blue so mystic, as we walked in silence, the transparent shadowy night, As I saw you had something to tell, As you bent to me night after night, As you droop from the sky low down, As if to my side, While the other stars all looked on, As we wandered together the solemn night. With departing Venus, large to the last, and shining even to the edge of the horizon, the vast dome presents at this moment such a spectacle. Mercury was visible just after sunset, a rare sight. Arcturus is now rising just north of east. In calm glory all the stars of Orion hold the place of honour, in meridian to the south, with the dog-star a little to the left, And now, just rising, Spica, late, low, and slightly veiled, Castor, Regulus, and the rest, All shining unusually clear, No Mars or Jupiter or Moon till morning, On the edge of the river, Many lamps twinkling, With two or three huge chimneys, A couple of miles up, Belching forth molten, steady flames, Volcano-like, illuminating all around, And sometimes an electric or calcium, Its dante inferno gleams in far shafts, Terrible, ghastly powerful. Of later May nights, crossing, I like to watch the fisherman's little boy lights, So pretty, so dreamy, like corpse candles, undulating delicate and lonesome on the surface of the shadowy waters, floating with the current. The first spring day on Chestnut Street Winter relaxing its hold has already allowed us a foretaste of spring. As I write yesterday afternoon's softness and brightness, after the morning fog, which gave it a better setting by contrast, showed Chestnut Street, say between Broad and Fourth, to more advantage in its various asides, and all its shores, and gay-dressed crowds generally, than for three months past. I took a walk there between one and two. Doubtless, there were plenty of hard-up folks along the pavements, but nine-tenths of the myriad moving human panorama to all appearance seemed flush, well fed, and fully provided. At all events, it was good to be on Chestnut Street yesterday. The peddlers on the sidewalk, sleeve buttons, three for five cents. The handsome little fellows with canary bird whistles. The cane men, toy men, toothpick men. The old women squatted in a heap. On the cold stone flags with her basket of matches, pins, and tape. The young negro mother sitting begging with her two little coffee-colored twins on her lap. The beauty of the crammed conservatory of rare flowers, flaunting reds, yellows, snowy lilies, incredible orchids, at the Baldwin mansion near Twelfth Street. The show of fine poultry beef, fish at the restaurants, the china stores with glass and statuettes, the luscious tropical fruits, the streetcars plodding along with their tintinnabulating bells, the fat, cab-looking, rapidly driven one-horse vehicles of the post office, squeezed full of coming or going letter carriers, so healthy and handsome and manly-looking in their grey uniforms the costly books, pictures, curiosities in the windows, the gigantic policemen at most of the corners, with all be readily remembered and recognized as features of this principal avenue of Philadelphia. Chestnut Street, I have discovered, is not without individuality, and its own points, even when compared with the great prominent streets of other cities. I have never been in Europe, but acquired years' familiar experience with New York's, perhaps the world's great thoroughfare, Broadway, and possessed to some extent a personal and saunterer's knowledge of St. Charles Street in New Orleans, Tremont Street in Boston, and the broad trottoirs of Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington. Of course, it is a pity that chestnut were not two or three times wider, but the street, any fine day, shows vividness, motion, variety, not easily to be surpassed. Sparkling eyes, human faces, magnetism, well-dressed women, ambulating to and fro, with lots of fine things in the windows. Are they not about the same, the civilized world over? How fast the fleeting figures come, The mild, the fierce, the stony face, Some bright with thoughtless smiles, And some where secret tears have left their trace. A few days ago, one of the six-story clothing stores along here Had the space inside its plate-glass show-window partitioned into a little coral, and littered deeply with rich clover and hay, I could smell the odor outside, on which reposed two magnificent fat sheep, full-sized but young, the handsomest creatures of the kind I ever saw. I stopped long and long, with the crowd, to view them. One... Lying down, chewing the cud, and one standing up, looking out with dense-finged, patient eyes, their wool of a clear tawny color, with streaks of glistening black, altogether a queer sight amidst that crowded promenade of dandies, dollars, and dry goods. Up the Hudson to Ulster County, April twenty-third off to New York on a little tour and visit, leaving the hospitable, home-like quarters of my valued friends, Mr. and Mrs. J. H. Johnston. Took the 4 p.m. boat, bound up the Hudson, a hundred miles or so. Sunset and evening fine. Especially enjoyed the hour after we passed Cosen's Landing. The night, lit by the crescent moon and Venus, now swimming in tender glory, and now hid by the high rocks and hills of the western shore, which we hugged close, where I spent the next ten days is in Ulster County and its neighborhood, with frequent morning and evening drives, observations of the river, and short rambles. April 24th, noon. A little more and the sun would be oppressive. The bees are out gathering their bread from willows and other trees. I watch them returning, darting through the air, or lighting on the hives, their thighs covered with a yellow forage. A solitary robin sings near. I sit in my shirt sleeves and gaze from an open bay window on the indolent scene. The thin haze, the fish kill hills in the distance. Off on the river, a sloop with slanting mainsail and two or three little shad boats over on the railroad opposite long freight trains sometimes weighted by cinder tanks of petroleum, thirty, forty, fifty cars in a string, panting and rumbling along in full view, but the sound softened by distance days. At J.B.'s Turf Fires, Spring Songs, April 26th, at sunrise, the pure clear sound of the meadow lark. An hour later, some notes, few and simple, yet delicious and perfect, from the bush sparrow towards noon, the reedy trill of the robin. Today is the fairest, sweetest yet, penetrating worms a lovely veil in the air, partly heat-vapour, and partly from the turf fires everywhere in patches on the farms, a group of soft maples nearby silently burst out in crimson tips, buzzing all day with busy bees. The white sails of sloops and schooners glide up and down the river, and long trains of cars with ponderous roll, or faint bell notes, almost constantly on the opposite shore. The earliest wild flowers in the woods and fields—spicy arbutus, blue liverwort, frill anemone—all the pretty white blossoms of the bloodroot—I lounge out in slow rambles, discovering them, as I go along the roads. I like to see the farmer's fires in patches, Burning the dry brush, turf, debris, How the smoke crawls along, Flat to the ground, slanting, Slowly rising, reaching away, And at last dissipating. I like its acrid smell, Whiffs just reaching me, Welcomer than French perfume. The birds are plenty, of any sort, or two or three sorts, curiously, not a sign, till suddenly some warm, gushing, sunny April, or even March day. Lo, there they are, from twig to twig, or fence to fence, flirting, singing, some mating, preparing to build, but most of them en passant, a fortnight, a month in these parts, and then away. As in all phases, nature keeps up her vital, copious, eternal procession. Still, plenty of the birds hang around all or most of the season. Now their love-time, an era of nest-building. I find flying over the river, crows, gulls, and hawks. I hear the afternoon shriek of the latter, darting about, preparing to nest, The aureole will soon be heard here, and the twanging mellow of the catbird, and also the kingbird, cuckoo, and the warblers. All along there are three peculiarly characteristic spring songs, the meadowlarks, so sweet, so alert, and remonstrating, as if he said, don't you see? Or can't you understand? The cheery, mellow, human tones of the robin. I have been trying for years to get a brief term or phrase that would identify and describe that robin call and the amorous whistle of the high hole. Insects are out plentifully at midday. April 29 As we drove lingering along the road, we heard, just after sundown, the song of the wood thrush, We stop without a word, and listen long. The delicious notes, a sweet, artless, voluntary, simple anthem, As from the flute-stops of some organ, Wafted through the twilight, Echoing well to us from the perpendicular high rock, Where, in some thick young tree's recesses at the base, sat the bird, filled our senses, our souls, Meeting a Hermit I found in one of my rambles up the hills a real hermit, living in a lonesome spot, hard to get at, rocky, the view fine, with a little patch of land two rods square. A man of youngish middle age, city born and raised, had been to school, had traveled in Europe and California. I first met him once or twice on the road, and passed the time of day, with some small talk. Then, the third time, he asked me to go along a bit and rest in his hut, an almost unprecedented compliment, as I heard from others afterwards. He was of Quaker stock, I think, talked with ease and moderate freedom, but did not unbosom his life. Or story, or tragedy, or whatever it was. End of chapter twelve.